The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning and welcome to Autism Live. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're coming to you live from our studios in Woodland Hills. And we're very excited to be here with you this morning. We've got big topics to talk about. Today is a parent-to-parent day. I have to tell you that we're probably going to be putting the parent-to-parents on hold for a couple of weeks because we have so many guests that we want to be bringing you in the next couple of weeks. People who we're going to be featuring during our podcast-a-thon that's coming up starting on April 4th, where we are going to go live uh, at 3 p.m. Pacific time on April 4th, and then we are going to attempt to stay live for 44 straight hours. And we, we can't do that by ourselves, as you guys know, so we have many guest takeovers where we're inviting top podcasts, top experts to take over uh, individuals who are on the spectrum who feel very comfortable taking over and having their own guests are going to be taking over as well. It's, it's all lining up really beautifully. We've got some real powerhouses. We've had a definitive yes from Amy Gravino that she's going to host two hours of Stories from the Spectrum for us, which I'm really excited. Holly Robinson-Pete has agreed to be here. We know that Joe Montaigne is going to be here during the kickoff, as will Kobe Bird. It's going to be a really good time, you guys. But we want, you to, in- we want to introduce some of these people to you in the coming weeks, too, so that you can kind of get a feel for, okay, whose show do I want to check out and prioritize? Keep in mind that the show is going to be live, and there's going to be some really fun and exciting things and some giveaways that will happen live. But then each, there's no way any of us, I can't stay up for 40 hour, four hours, and I want to probably more than anybody else. But um, I want you to know that each hour will then podcast, so you will be able to watch that later as well. So don't, don't sweat it. It's not like you have to cancel all of your plans for those days. It does start on a Tuesday early evening on the East Coast, afternoon here for us on the West Coast, and it goes through until a Thursday morning. And people have had a lot of strange questions for us about, okay, well, first of all, why 44? Well, and it's very simple because right now the CDC estimates that one in 44 eight-year-olds are on the autism spectrum. Well, let me correct that, that one in 44 eight-year-olds have been diagnosed already as being on the autism spectrum. So that's why 44. However, we do expect for that number to change before And we don't know where that number is going to go up, down, or sideways, but we're going to stick to the 44 because we feel that that's a really important number in our lives in this moment. But things change. We're still going to stick to it for this moment. The other thing uh, that people have been asking us, uh, and of course it just left my mind, what has everybody been asking us? I can't remember. I have no idea. It'll come back to me. It was, it was really important, and then my brain just went poof. Do you ever have that happen? It doesn't matter. We've got so many things to talk about today. But I, I want to let you know that more information is coming about this. Parker, I'm so thrilled to have you. We've missed you lately. Parker says, we need to pursue more diagnosis efforts for adults. Self-diagnosis is not valid. Parker, that's a great topic of discussion, and I'm sure that somebody will be talking about that during the 44 hours, right? Um, super duper important. And I know I try to share that with people. It's, 
you understand it's a very sticky situation when someone is starting to hear information and start to identify with the autism community and they sort of feel like I've found my home all these things in my life that didn't make sense this is what I hear from people all the time they're like I didn't know why this was something that I could never make work or this I never understood this I didn't understand when I was at you know why people were offended when I said this and then they start to find out information and they go oh I found my tribe and often unwittingly they go, well, I'm, I'm you know, I, I assume and they've heard of people who have just self-diagnosed and, and they feel very much like, oh, these are my people. And they feel shunned when people say, no, you need to go and get a diagnosis because it's hard to go get a diagnosis. Not everybody is doing that. By the way, we have a doctor that we've been trying to get scheduled here, but she's so busy, that is in California who does the, the comprehensive diagnosis for adults and then helps them to figure out what to do after they get the diagnosis. We gotta get her in here uh, because I think that's a really important topic. And she can do the diagnosis long distance if you're in a state in which she's licensed, which is really uh, amazing. Uh, Gracie says, how can I get this information if I can't make it to view this great information? Well, what's fabulous, Gracie, is that the whole thing will podcast. I think that was the other big question about what will happen if I don't get to watch it live. Everything that we do when we do it live, we podcast. We know that the bigger share of our audience does not have the ability to just say, oh, I guess I'll watch it when it's on, even if it's 44 hours straight, right? We understand that you guys have other things going on. So we are, if you go to autismnetwork.com, you can find the link tree and find all the places that we podcast there. But we're pretty much any place where you would download a podcast for free, we're there, uh, which we we try really hard to keep things here so that you guys don't have to pay anything for the information. We've been doing this for 12 years and I've been fighting for 12 years to keep the information free. It does mean, especially recently and moving in the future, that we've started monetizing our videos where you have to sit through advertisements to, to watch the video. I apologize for that, but that was the choice between charging you or, or having an ad that you have to skip at some point or sit through at some point. And we are having sponsorships join us now, especially for the podcast-a-thon. If you know a company who would like to sponsor an hour, we're selling those like hotcakes right now. We want that information to be free to you, so that's why we're bringing in the sponsors. It's a trade-off, I know, um, but... Also, I want to add that there are signs early in the infant stage. Thank you, Gracie, for reminding us of that. Is there any research as early as infant stage? There is. If you want to Google and look up micro-movements especially, there are lots of topics, but if you put in micro-movements autism, you will see that there's a great deal of research showing that babies have a tell that there are these micro movements that they make or don't make that put them certainly as someone that should be watched closely because those children that have those micro have or don't have those micro movements are significantly more likely to be diagnosed later on. Um, great deal of research that's been done on that, so I would take a look at that. Uh, Gracie says, "Can uh, can you please provide the podcast information? Thank you. Yep. So." You know, where do you like, like to watch your podcast? Do you like to watch it on Apple Podcasts? Do you um, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all those places? Traven's going to show you. He may have already started and I may have missed it. But there are so many places where you can download our podcast. I would say it's much more likely that wherever you get your podcast, if you go there, 
you'll find us. If you don't, I want you to come back to me and we'll make sure that we get there. Our criteria is we like to be places where you can download it for free. I know that there are a couple of podcast places where it costs you to download them and we're not there because I really want the information to be free to you. As a proud pony, which is how I identify myself right now, with my son's permission, I'm a parent of a neurodiverse individual. I remember what it was like in the early days after my son was diagnosed where I just wanted to get information because I didn't want to let him down. And I felt behind and alone. And I was like, where can I go to get this information? And I felt like there were all these great resources, but it meant going to this conference. Well, I, where was my child going to be when I was at that conference? How would I have afforded the airfare? Or there was a book and I couldn't afford the book. You know what I'm saying? So it, it, it was always my goal that if we got things going well for us, which we did, it was always my goal to turn around and help who I could. But it was important to me that the information be available at a whenever, like on demand, right? Which is why for 12 years we've been podcasting. If you want to see all the videos we've done, go to YouTube. Go to our YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash autism live and subscribe to us there. As Strand is showing you right now on the screen. But you will find 12 years worth of videos where you can go back and look up amazing experts talking about lots of different things. Okay, you have Spotify. So just look on Spotify and you can um, subscribe to us there and and listen to us on a regular place. Uh, place. Um, okay, wonderful. Uh, oh, Gracie says, that's exactly how I feel at this moment. I, I don't know how I can help my son. Gracie, I'm so glad you're here because one of the things that we're going to be talking about today is as a parent, what can we do to foster language? Because that's a pretty important thing and we're going to talk about why that's a pretty important thing. But Gracie, I want you to know that there was a time and a place where I was like, how, I, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't think I'm up to it. I don't think, you know, I, I have a firm be- belief, spiritual belief that we're only given what we can handle, but I don't believe that we are meant to handle it by ourselves. I think we're, we're supposed to meet teachers and people along the way who give us this snippet that help us to be able to do. So here's what I know, Gracie. Your child is so lucky to have you. You know how I know that? Because you're so on it, you found us. There are lots of people who don't find us right? But you found us. So you're amazing. You're looking for the answers. And you know what? In the beginning, that's key. We're going to give you some answers here. And then we want you to go look at our library videos. We want you to ask questions as they come up. But, you know, you found a community here where we're going to celebrate you and your child. And I'm going to tell you something. It's going to be okay. It really is. We always have this thing here where we say, si se puede, we can do this, and we hold hands to do it. You are not alone. And here I am all these years later, Gracie. uh, We just recently commemorated, oh my gosh, I'm going to mess this up. I think it was the 17 years ago that was the day that my son was diagnosed. And I remember those early days like they were yesterday. But let me tell you, I live in a much different world than I ever could have imagined that my son is about to be 20. He's a second semester sophomore at a university where he has no accommodations uh, studying screenwriting. If you had told me even 15 years ago that that's where we would be, I would have dropped to my knees and sobbed and said, how? How do we get there? Um, But we did. 
And everybody's story is different. Everybody doesn't have the same outcome, but I will tell you that parents who start looking for answers, you will find your path. You will, and you will be okay, and your child is going to be okay. I'm sending you a hug. Um, yeah, Parker says, don't forget about the YouTube video podcast. Yes, because when you're in the podcast, thank you, Parker. When you're looking in the podcast, you're going to get the audio only for the, the take on the go kind of thing. But if you want the video, you really want to go to YouTube to get that. Um, okay, and I see people are downloading on iHeartRadio, which is wonderful. Uh, Muhammad, hello. So thrilled to have you here. Michelle Manley, we're so thrilled that you were here. Muhammad says, my son is uh, three and 10 months and uses only a few words functionally and also has strong imitation skill, but he is stuck with speech development and no one-to-one conservation. Please guide. Stick with us because we're going to get to this topic and I think that it will help you. Okay. Uh, it was a lot, uh, Parker says it was a lot harder 20 years ago. I think of people like Temple Grandin who are older than us. I think, oh, and Muhammad, I see that your son is screaming a lot. We're going to talk about that too. So I think that, you know, it's so hard to say what was harder when it was harder. I, I remember thinking that it was so hard during our time because we had to fight for the funding for ABA. And I thought that was the hardest thing that there was. And the people before us, you know, forget it. There was no funding to fight for. Now people have the funding for ABA, but they don't know they don't know what to fight for, and often they're fighting for really inferior ABA that nobody wants to do. Um, that is not child friendly, right? So the parent has to not now not be an expert in funding ABA. They have to be an expert in finding what's the ABA that is actually functional, working, doing what it's supposed to do, and being kind to my child. It's hard all across the board, but we take it where it is. We hug you all. Uh, Michelle says, how does a parent uh, manage a late diagnosis of a 17-year-old? Didn't even know that much about ASD. And Michelle, you're going to be frustrated with today's topic because it's specifically for fostering language in smaller children, but we'll touch on how you apply this for older kids. But I think there are so many support groups that will help you uh, to, cause you're going to have a lot of feelings about it, about how could, I'm just going to say this, people let you down, people let you down. And of course they let your child down that they got the diagnosis at 17 because somebody, the school legally was responsible for citing it. So you've been let down and you're going to have feelings of grief that you're going to need to, to figure out how not to stuff down, but how to express it in a safe way that doesn't involve your child because they're going through their own feelings, but how to get to the place where they're now getting support. If you want to write to me, and anybody can do this, my email is shannon at autism-live.com. It's especially important that you tell me where you are in the world. I don't mean your address, but where, like, what's the closest major city because there will be different resources for you. But we want to get you involved with some people to help and support you and get your 17-year-old involved in some social programs and things so that he finds, I think you said son, so that they find, you didn't say, I'm assuming, 
that they find, and it's very different, 17-year-old girl, 17-year-old boy just getting diagnosed, but they need to find their tribe where they feel accepted and loved. 17 is a very critical time, and they need to understand that they are fabulous, that they are wonderful. And just like everybody on the planet, there might be some areas where they need some help and support, and that there's nothing wrong with that. And that like Olympic athletes take help and support called a coach, right? There's no stigma attached to that. You know, CEOs of companies bring in a coach to help them to be able to exercise or write or whatever it is. So no harm, no foul with that, but we want to get you hooked up. So, uh, oh, Gracie, you had to fight for services. I'm sorry. Um, And Parker says, yes, there are people that are traumatized by bad ABA, yes, and have denounced it. That's absolutely true. Uh, We don't deny that at all, but I do... uh, I'm on the side that I say that there is good quality ABA, if you can find it, that's, that's what worked with my son, and he is spectacular. That's my truth. Uh, oh, Gracie, he wasn't even getting services at school. Uh, that's terrible. Parker says, there are nonverbal in every age. I, I know, even though I know a kid, even though he speaks one word sentences at 18, anything is possible. Yes, that's right. And Bridget says, thank you for supporting families. Hey, that's my deal. Because uh, we all, as parents, have a moment when, I don't want to say all, most of the parents that I know have a moment where we feel like, I'm not enough, I'm inadequate, I don't know what I need to know, I don't know how to support my child in the best way, and it's humbling. It takes you to your knees, and the deal that I made on my knees that I said to my higher power, please help me. Um, don't let me be, this makes me so emotional, but I said, please don't let me be the parent that messes this up. Please let me show up for this kid in any possible way that I can. And if you show me what to do, I promise I will do it. And not only that, I will turn around and help who I can. That's my journey. That's why I'm here. It is not one size fits all. I never want to make it sound like that you must do exactly what I did, but I do think that a lot of what we did was really, uh, important and good. I understand, though, that it's very hard to find the quality of ABA that we had at that time. I want to fight for you to find it and learn how to do it yourself and do all those things. Um, The teaching lady says, our ABA just left here and our son, four-year-old, was helping her make his special muffins. He has come so far. ABA has been great for, for us. Thank you. Sharon, and that's okay. I do answer to Sharon too for all that you do. Um, thank you, and I and I love hearing that because there is good ABA out there, you guys, but it's not everywhere, and it's getting harder and harder to find. And that's where I'm fighting right now to make sure that good quality, trauma informed, you know, person centered ABA still happens. Because I I hate to think that you know my son could get something that the rest of you couldn't get for your children. I just, that keeps me up at night. Okay, now let's kind of pivot here and get into talking about some of my tips for fostering language. Uh, And I want to start by saying that, yes, this is a discussion that I have I've put for young children. It's not that these things don't work for older kids, too. They do. It's just you're going to go about it in an entirely different way because we would do that with anything, right? If you were going to teach a two-year-old how to knit, you would teach it in a very different way than you would teach a 14-year-old, which is different than how you would teach it to a 27-year-old. But you could still, I mean, I know people who have taught two-year-olds 
olds how to knit, right? If they have the facility to be able to do that. And that is a very important thing, knowing what people have the facility to do. And when I talk about language, I know, I know you are all hearing vocal, you know, conversation. And that's definitely on the table and something that we're going to talk about. But I always want to remind all of us that functional communication is still language. That pointing to something to say that you want that, that is still language. If we go back to, and I'm not a huge Skinner fan, but he did write verbal behavior, which is the basis for a lot of things that we talk about, about how we communicate, right? But I'm not about Skinner. I'm, I, I'm not the big fan of Skinner that other people are because Temple had some things to say. Temple has a Me Too story about Skinner, so he's hop to me, you know? But, um, but you know, one of the things that, that he did talk about is that verbal communication is not all vocal, that probably the lot, way lion's share of how we communicate is through gesture and and through faces that we make, this non-vocal communication that we do. So we don't want to leave that out, and we don't want to leave out people who don't have vocal communication just say, oh, well, we're just not going to pay any attention to you, because that is a recipe for disaster. Um, okay. Uh, Bridget, you can absolutely uh, connect to me. Um, please email me because I don't have a way to get back to you. I see that you're on LinkedIn. Uh, I'll try. I'm not good at LinkedIn. Can I be honest about that? I need a coach for LinkedIn. because uh, <laughs> It's just I don't entirely get it. Okay, but anyway, we're talking. I'm all over the map today. We're talking about fostering language in young children. Okay. I'm going to run through these really fast uh, and just talk about them for a second. Then we're going to go back and talk them about them in, in fuller terms. But let's remember that this is a parent-to-parent talk, and I always recommend that you get help and support, whether that be ABA professionals or SLPs, speech and language pathologists, or whatever it is that you're doing, because to do this alone as a parent is a lot. But you can do a lot as a parent. But imagine if you're doing a lot and somebody else is doing a lot, you get much more done, okay? But number one, super important to me, we're going to reinforce all attempts to communicate, all of them. This, I find, is the number one mistake that we make as parents, that we forget what we're teaching in any given moment. And if what you truly want is to foster communication with a child, then that means you got to reinforce all attempts at it. So it may not be the thing that you want. If you're, this means you're not punishing the child if the child stands there and swears at you. I know, everybody take a breath. But if we're fostering communication, then that's the thing that we have to reinforce. You may not like the communication that you're getting, but you have to be thrilled and happy that you are getting communication. And Muhammad, when your child is screaming at you, that is your child trying to communicate with you. Most behavior, all behavior is communication. So this idea of punishing people, we got to let that go. It's got to get pushed to the side. So when your child is screaming, um, you know, it's, it's not like we're going to give them their sweet treat for that, right? But we need to be listening and paying attention. To have gotten to the point where your child is screaming means that he, whether it's in that moment or some moment before, he feels like he, 
he wasn't able to tell you what he needed. We're going to talk more about this in a second. But we need to get real clear that if we're going to foster language, we have to understand what communication is and we have to be positive about it and there can be no punishing for any attempt at communication. And that means that if I'm trying to say cookie and I say guh, oh, we love that, right? And we're definitely going to reinforce that, right? But it also means if I'm standing there and I'm using the F word, I don't get punished. Maybe it's not a reinforcer, like I said, we give the sweet treat, but I don't get punished for communication. And I find a lot of parents, we and I, guilty as charged, I have done this in the past before somebody made it really clear, you want this individual to communicate? Stop punishing types of communication that you don't understand and that you don't like. We're going to highly reinforce the kinds of communication that we want to see, but stop punishing because... It's very hard for somebody to understand that. Okay, moving on. Number two, we're going to create opportunities for manding. Manding is when you request. We're going to talk extensively about that. Number three is we're going to use a technique called shaping. And basically what that means is we're going to keep moving the goalposts. Once they get something, we're going to move the goalposts over an inch. And we'll talk about precisely how to do that. Number four, we're going to model communication. Sometimes we shut down and we don't communicate or we're communicating things that are not what we meant to communicate. I have resting biatch face and that's not what I mean sometimes. And I have to have that under control when I'm working with somebody that I want to make sure my communication is not negative, right? So we have to model good communication. We're going to visualize, utilize visual supports to help people. Uh, I put the music notes there on the screen for those of you who are listening in podcasts because a lot of times people are like, well, I just don't think that we use a lot of it. Yes, we use visual supports all the time. Every time you're on the street and there's road signs, those are visual supports. It's any musician, if we said to them, no, I'm sorry, you're going to have to know it all by heart, we, music would be a different thing. And, and it would let some people out who can't memorize everything. So visual supports are good, and we're going to talk about how you can use those to foster communication. We're going to utilize technology, things like phones and iPads, because those are fabulous for language, and we're going to make it fun. I love this puppy with his t- tongue hanging out. We have to make it fun because if we don't, we are not really going to be fostering language, okay? We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about how we keep it simple because we don't want this complex maze that's on the screen here. Uh, We're going to strengthen oral motor, which a lot of people are like, I don't know what that has to do with communication, but it has a lot because if I am not used to communicating with my mouth and I say something and and I'm making the attempt and people can't understand me, then I'm not going to get what I want and I'm going to stop doing that and I'm going to start screaming because you didn't understand me. And that's me as a 60-year-old fully verbal person. If I say something and you don't understand me, I'm going to make several attempts, but then I'm going to start yelling. That's the truth. That's the truth. So why wouldn't a kid do that too? And then, of course, always uh, we want to keep it fair. It has to be fair. What we're asking our kids to do, it has to be fair. Uh, So... uh, Parker, how about spanking? Should that go by the wayside? Uh, Listen, I'm not a fan of spanking. um, And my son will tell you that, you know, there were a couple of times that I spanked and I, he, he doesn't know this, but I like, didn't get over, like, I was like, this is not the kind of parent I want. This is not the kind of relationship I want. I don't know for other people. I can't, I can't say definitively across the board. um, But I think for our kids who are having trouble communicating, 
uh, if, if the child is attempting to communicate and you spank them, what you are saying to them is when you try to tell me what you need, you are going to end up being humiliated and with your fanny hurting. I don't see how that builds language. So I'm going to say definitively that I think spanking goes by the wayside if it's a form of communication. And if we say that all behavior is communication, then yes, I really am kind of saying that I don't think the spanking is appropriate for our kids who have a, a, de a defined disability with communication. And if we want to get them through and over and around that so that they can communicate their needs, then, then no, I don't think that spanking is on the table. This is a parent-to-parent -parent talk, my opinion, nobody has to listen to me. Let's remember, did I give the disclaimer at the beginning? I'm a parent, not an expert. But I'm telling you what I have learned over the years from all the experts that we've had on the show and my experience as a parent. Uh, my son would probably come in and say entirely different things. But <laughs> that's, you're asking, I'm telling you. Uh, I remember being spanked as a kid and I only found it humiliating. So uh, that's what I remember about it. I don't know about you, but I don't ever want my child to feel humiliated by me. Like, I can't imagine that being the thing that I... Now, did I spank? Yes. And, 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 I, and I, it was devastating to me because I think there were a total of four times, this is how specific it is, that I remember spanking him. And, and I hated it each and every time, and it was emotional and terrible. Not a fan. Okay. Let's talk about re reinforcing attempts to communicate. Okay, Trayvon's telling me we've got 30 minutes. I gotta, I gotta get down to it. Okay, there's a video, there's a TED Talk that you can look up. Um, and, and you probably, if you search it, say TED Talk, baby learning to say water. It's fascinating. We used to show it here on the show years ago. But basically there was a scientist who was studying language development and his wife was pregnant and they got a grant and they tricked out their whole house with cameras and microphones. And when they brought the baby home, the whole, and everybody had agreed to this, right? Uh, and they, they captured every single utterance that was said in the house, imagine privacy, right? Of the parents and the baby across like a two and a half year time period. And then they isolated all the times that somebody said water and, and every time that the baby said water. And they, you could see they've got these maps where they graph like where were the hot spots of where water was said, right? And this is a typically developing child. But basically then they put together every approximation of from the very first bleh, to when the, the child actually said water, how that came to be, and they put it end to end. You can listen to it in the TED Talk. It lasts like 30 seconds, but basically you hear the child going, water, and it just shapes up over this like a period of time. And we're going to be talking about shaping here in just a second, but I want you to realize that even neurotypical children don't just come out of the womb and go, I'd like some water, please, right? That there were lots of times that that neurotypical child said, blah, blah, and, and they were like, what, what is it that you want and had to sort it out, right? We have to take our individuals, whether they're 2 or 22 or 42, wherever they are. And so in the beginning, if how they request for water is pointing, we're going to give them the water. That's communication. 
we're going to shape this, which is what we're going to talk about in a second, to get to the point to see how far we can get. And, and what we have learned over the last 50 years, remember that 40 years ago, it was estimated that 18% of people on the spectrum had verbal vocal communication and that the rest of them were nonverbal. That number has more than flipped. I think the most recent uh, thing that I heard was that it's 14% of the population of autism now that doesn't speak. Now that's still a pretty significant portion and we don't wanna leave those folks out. There are people, but even within that group who often have a dual diagnosis of apraxia, even within that group, we have seen progress where they have some vocal communication where they are able to request some things. It's difficult for them and they're not necessarily going to, you know, be able to stand up and, and do an hour long speech, right? But we're seeing movement and it takes a certain amount of patience and a certain amount of trials and a certain amount of reinforcement. Because if I have difficulty telling you what I need, I am going to stop trying the way that I'm trying and try another way. And this is the key here. If your child is trying to communicate with you to get something that they need, right? We need to listen to that communication. I know this is confusing for people because they like, but wait a second, you have said before, you know, that you have to reinforce this and reinforce. In the beginning, you have to reinforce all attempts to communicate. And, and you have to try to figure out what that individual is trying to tell you. Even in a tantrum, you need to, you know, think back to, okay, what were they asking before, right? You got to ride the tantrum out, but you have to figure out what was it they wanted. <sighs> Kids are tantruming because they don't have another way of asking for what they want. So we're going to reinforce attempts to communicate. We're, we're going to keep moving the goalposts, which we're going to talk about in a second, but we're going to reinforce and we are not going to punish communication. I just feel so very strongly about that. Uh, okay, let's move on and we'll see if we can't figure this out as we go on. Now, the second thing is that we have to create our opportunities for manding. Now, if you watch the show and watch our jargon, you know what manding is. If you don't, you're like, I don't know what that is. Think about the word command, right? The manding means to request something. So if I'm, if I'm commanding you, I'm demanding that you give me something. I put a plate of cookies here because in the beginning, the things that our kids ask for are pretty mundane, right? Um, sometimes it's hard to know. Think about your baby. The baby comes out, and when the baby wants something, what does the baby do? The baby cries. The baby cries, and we kind of have to separate. There's like five different things that the baby might want. The baby might have gas and need to be bounced, right, and, and bumped. You know, that thing where you pat their back or pat their bum so that they can fart or burp or whatever, uh, right? The baby might be hungry. That's a slightly different cry if you listen hard enough, right? The baby might be cold or hot. The baby might want attention. The baby might be thirsty, right? There's very limited things that a baby wants, but the baby cries for all of them. This doesn't just magically go away. 
what happens is they get to the terrible twos and they start to realize because they've seen enough people communicating around them that they're like, ah, there might be an easier, better way. I'm going to ask for the cookie. And they might point for the cookie. They might reach for the cookie. They might say gah, gah for the cookie, right? There's all these different ways that you can mand for a cookie, but they're going to go with the one that works. So if they say gah, gah, at the cookie and you don't know that that's what the cookie means, they didn't get reinforced for it, right? So now they might try crying and you give them the cookie. They're gonna stick with the one that worked. So we need to be mindful of this and we're gonna, now we're gonna, at this point, wherever we are, we're gonna create these opportunities for them to mand and remember, we're gonna reinforce any attempt. We're gonna get this really super clear. So. When the child is, you know, uh, 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 you know, th- like making these attempts and you see they're uncomfortable, there's something that we want, they want, you know, we're going to hold the cookie up. Is the cookie want you, what you want? And if they nod their head or go, ah, that's a form of communication. In the beginning, we're going to reward by giving them the thing that they requested. What I love about good ABA professionals is for very young kids who have shown that they have some approximation of language, they'll put in a man program where they have them manding like 200 times an hour. This sounds exhausting to me, but they're very good at it where they'll, you know, they make all, they make an environment that's very reinforcing and they have these kids and they go, do you want this? And the child has to, and they'll start to shape it. We're going to talk about shaping in a second. But you have to create opportunities to mand. Well, part of that means not just giving them things. Now, notice that I'm not saying withhold things from them, but every time you go to give something, say, do you, you know, would you like this toy that I know that you love? And, and if the child reaches for it in the beginning, that's a form of communication. Then we're going to shape this later on for them to say yes, or please, or doll, or t- truck, whatever it is. But First, we have to create opportunities for manding. This is hard for parents because our children are so frustrated that we just want to give them everything that you need. And I'm telling you, do give them everything that you need, but create a moment, a moment, I'm not talking an hour, a moment of communication where, you know, you encourage your child. You can even say, point to the doll. Which one do you want? And take their hand and go, you want the doll? We can nod. We can teach them how to say yes, no. We can teach them the label for the thing. We can have them hand us an icon. There's a million ways that they can request the thing that they want. But what we're teaching during man training is we're teaching them, if you ask for it, you're going to get it. Let me say that again. What we're teaching during man training is if you ask for it, you're going to get it. That means you don't wait. If they ask for something, they point to something, we give it to them. What we're teaching them is, yep, you ask for it, you're going to get it. Later on, when we get that shaped up how we want it, it'll be sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't get it because that's the real world. But in the beginning, stop with that. They ask for it, they get it. 200 times an hour. And they go, I like it. I'm the queen of Sheba. Let's play this game some more. And that's how we build language. Okay, I see people are writing in. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to get to these in a second. So now we're going to use shaping. Shaping means that we move the goalposts. So if in the beginning... 
I, I know that this child loves cookies. And I say, do you want the cookie? And they reach for the cookie. I go, I will language it for them. And I will say, yes, you want the cookie. And I will give them a piece of the cookie, right? But then now we've got that. So the next time we do it, I might be like, say, cook, cook, cook. And I'm not going to make this child wait forever. I'm, I'm going to say, say, cook, cook, cook. And if the child says, cook, that's close enough. They get a piece of the cookie. And if they can't say the ka, I'm going to find another way for them to request it. I'm not going to let them go more than seven seconds before they get to the reinforcer, which is the cookie. This is not about torturing anybody. It's about pulling it slowly over the finish line, right? So, so today they said, great, you get the cookie. Yay, that's right, it's a cookie. Good job. Then I'm going to shape that up a little bit more so I get them saying, cookie, yay, good job, you get the cookie, right? Eventually I'm going to get them to say, yay. Then we're going to go, cuckoo. Cookie, right? Whatever that wah, 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 water, we're going to get there eventually. Then when they can say cookie, we're going to say more cookie. And it might be that we sign more cookie. You want more cookie? Whatever it takes, but we're building it to the point where the child is going to say, I want more cookie, please. We're just going to keep adding things on. So more cookie, more cookie, please. I want cookie. I want more cookie. We're just going to keep building the sentence. That's how you move the goalpost away. And we want to always be doing that. We start with where they are, but then we're just going to just ever so slowly stretch that out like pizza dough so that they get to the point and that's how you build language, okay? Uh, we're going to model that good communication all the time. That, you know, so they're saying, I'm saying, yes, it's a cookie. I'm modeling it. And I'm being very clear with my diction so that they see it, they see my lips, and they hear it. Yes, it's a cookie as I'm giving it to them. Because that's like the Grand Canyon that they said, Guh, got the cookie, and I said, cookie. I've just created this perfect little thing and where they're feeling like, oh, mom liked what I did, and I got the cookie all is well in my world. And they're going to be more willing to do it. And that, that me saying it helps deepen the learning. So we're making the Grand Canyon uh, deeper and deeper with each drop of water. You language how you're feeling, how they're feeling. You're, if you're, you see your child shivering, you go, oh, you're cold. You're feeling cold right now. I'm modeling the communication. So when we're cold, we're going to put on a sweater, bless your heart, and we wrap them up, and now you're warm. You know, or sometimes when they're sad, you can say, yes, you're feeling sad right now. And you rub their back, yes, you're feeling sad. You're okay, but you're feeling sad. You want to be modeling and all of the language. Or when you're feeling sad, say, you know, mommy's feeling sad right now. We're, we're not over-talking it, but we're modeling what it means to communicate how we're feeling, the states that we're in, what we're doing, what we're talking about, right? Um, the visual supports is very, very, very important. As I was saying before, we would never ask a musician to remember everything that they have to do. We don't have to do that. There's road signs all along the way. So we can make signs where the, if the child can read, that's great. But a lot of times our kids, you know, that, that 
that's something that's going to come later on. So we can have pictures. We can have an actual photograph. Uh, let's say that we want to have the child uh, put on their shoes, right? And we're learning how to put on the shoes, but we're also learning how to language and communicate it, right? So we can just endlessly teach labels, but that's not going to get us to good conversation. But we can take a picture of the child. I did this with my son where I said, okay, let's go get your shoes. And I would go, shoes, modeling the language. These are your shoes. These are your socks, right? And I, and I said, let's take a picture of the shoes. Now you take a picture of the shoes, right? Now I'll take a picture of the socks. You take a picture of the socks. Our kids love technology, by the way. And this is deepening that Grand Canyon. Oh, what did you take a picture of? You took a picture of the shoes, right? Then we, had the sh- we went to Walmart and had the pictures printed out and we put them on the wall of here were the socks here were the shoes here was him with one sock on now two socks now one shoe now both shoes and so I would go this is how we put on our shoes so that he's got this visual support but I've languaged it all for him so when I say to him it's time to put on your shoes he's picturing all those and he can go and look at them to remember oh right first I have to get the socks then I you know and then I got to put the socks on and then I put the shoes on, right? There are so many things visual support wise that we can do for our kiddos from telling time um, to what our expectations of anything uh, is uh, to remind them, you know, to say, please, so many things that we can do. I love iconic communication for our kiddos that don't yet have language. This is literally where they get icons. So they get a picture of a uh, glass of juice and they can trade it for the juice. That's communication. And yes, we want to get to them saying juice and juice, please. But in the beginning, when we're creating this pattern of you ask for it, you get it. If they come and hand me the thing, I go, juice? You want juice? Oh, let's get you some juice. And I pour it and bring it back and go, you're having juice. Good asking. I said juice like 13 times, right? So we're making that clearer because eventually I'm going to see if this child can say juice. And then we'll get to the juice, right? Iconic communication, which, uh, you know, PEX is an iconic communication technology, which we're going to talk about in a second, utilizes this. So visual supports, don't do without them. I find so many parents are like, oh, but what I want is language and not to have all these signs all over my house. You're missing the boat. Having the signs all over the house helps create the language. Okay. Uh, utilize the technology. Our kids love their, their your phone, their phone, an iPad, a tablet, whatever. There are so many great apps that are about language, whether it is an iconic communication system or, can I be honest with you, one of the best apps that we had when my son was learning language um, was, uh, it's, I think it's called Talking Tom. It was this app where uh, there was a cat and he would, he could push a button, it was a free app, he would push a button and it was so big that eventually they, uh, with kids with autism, that they were sponsoring all kinds of organizations for autism because so many kids were finding this very effective. It's a cat, an animated cat, and they push a button and it records what they say. And then the cat will repeat back what they recorded into the phone. Oh my gosh, hours of fun. And suddenly now the child wants the cat to say things and they will work on shaping their language to get the cat to say all kinds of things. 
There are so many great apps for building language for whether it's receptive or expressive. All you need to do is Google apps for lang language development and you will have so much fun. Do it. If you think about every hour that your kiddo is in the car that you wish that they were one-on-one -on -one with a speech and langu language pathologist, you can stop wishing for that and just download an app. Your kids will want to play with it more hours than they would want to play with the speech and language pathologist. Right? Isn't that the truth? So don't be afraid of that. We, somewhere we have, a, we either did a, a podcast or we have a list somewhere of, of a bunch of just different apps, but you could Google. And sometimes they go away. I don't know how updated the list is, but trust me, if you Google it, you'll find it and you'll, your mind will expand. It has to be fun, right? Whatever we're teaching, it has to be fun. And when your kiddos are using an app, usually that's the whole thing. <laughs> In a nutshell is the app makes it fun. The Talking Tom made it fun. It was ridiculous. Can I tell you it also helped my son with social things because he would go to school and he would pull it out when they were doing like lunchtime or whatever and all the kids would gather around and they would all want to say something. So now he's got peers that are modeling, you know, things to do with the cat. It became a social thing. So don't be afraid of the technology. I find that so often parents are like, well, you know, what should I do because the SLP or the ABA person or whoever said my child isn't speaking yet and so they want to move to an iconic, you know, communication with an AAC device. They, you know, they want my child to be using an iPad and, and they feel the grief of it like people have given up. I, I just want you to know the research doesn't support that at all. The research says that if you make it fun and make it so that they get to the reinforcer, they are more likely to learn more language. And that having an iPad and pushing a button and have it, having it say, I want juice, is more fun than struggling to say it myself. And it's more effective because the thing said it clearly, you went and got the juice, I win. Now I see that loop of I asked for it, I got it, and now I want to do it more. I want to do it more. So make it fun regardless of age, ability. If you're working with a senior citizen, you should make it fun because otherwise what are we doing? And there are lots of ways to make it fun. Um, I love Pinterest, and if you know you you can find anything on Pinterest, and it's the most creative people in the world on Pinterest. If you're thinking about okay, well, how do I teach my child, uh, you know, to say please? I'll, I'll bet they have a, and make it fun. I bet they have a million things on Pinterest of ways that you can do it from popping. You know, they they have these crafts where you get the old. Uh, the stuff that you wrap things in, the pop paper bubble wrap, um, and that they get to pop the bubble when they say yes or please or whatever. There's a million ideas like that of how you can make it fun for the kiddos and make it sensory fun too. Uh, we want to keep it simple though. One of the things that we do as parents is that we over, we want to model good language, but we don't want to over model and just yak at them. Then we become the peanuts teacher who goes wop up up wop up up wop up up wop right think about if you were going to a country that you've never been to before and you don't know the language and if the tour guide on the bus got up and said and you're like it's all vanilla to me i have no idea what they said but if that person kept it single and they used three words and and they used a gesture and and said uh lashmi dushi 
Now, I'm making up a language now. Lashmi dushi, but they pointed that to me would mean we need to go. There would be some form of we're going, and <laughs> we're going that way. Lashmi dushi means we're leaving now because it was clear. And about the fifth time, I would start to, you know, I would notice if they said Lashmi wushi and pointed this way, then I would go, oh, it's directional. Lashmi dushi is this, Lashmi shushi is this way. And I would, I would start to figure out these are what these terms mean. We need to be that level of clear. One of the things that makes parents crazy is when they see ABA and you hear people saying, touch car, right? And it sounds, buzz. I went crazy. I was like, oh no, what have, we done? what have we signed up for? But we're being very clear with our language. We're articulating. I'm not going to speak that way for the rest of my life. Right, But if I say touch car, because I want them to hear the sounds, touch and car, and I'm going to point to the car, and I might even take my hand and put it and go, yes, touch car. So they start to put it together. But we're going to move the goalpost, right? But in the beginning, I got to keep it super simple. Because if I say, I want you to take your hand, and I want you to reach out, and I want you to put your hand on that car, how long is it going to take me to learn all those sounds and all those words? It's going to take me forever. So keep it simple uh, and keep it, make sure that you're articulating because a lot of our adults who are on the spectrum will tell us that when they were younger that they could not differentiate the sounds. So yes, we're going to speak a little heightened in the beginning while we're teaching language and keep it simple. I love this dog who's sticking his tongue at us. Uh, okay. Oh, we're, it's strength and oral motor. If in the, in the typical development of most children, when they start to realize in the terrible twos, oh, I just have to ask for it and then I can get it, right? But they begin to see, oh, if I don't ask for it clearly enough, I'm not going to get it. So I need to not just say juice. I need to say juice in order to get the juice. They will work a little bit harder to be able to get it. But these are also kids who don't necessarily have sensory issues and they've been eating soft stuff and crunchy stuff and they've been developing their oral motor. What we find is that for a lot of our kids, by the time they're getting to the point where they would get reinforced for saying something, they are mush mouth. They don't have the oral motor because maybe they didn't like crunchy food, right? Or they just weren't having as much opportunity to try it and we have to catch up on the oral motor. And people leave this out and poo-poo it, but it's important because if you're, there is a phase for almost all children where mom and dad understand what they're saying, but nobody else does, right? But our kids get stuck in that phase for a really long time, and it's really important that we work on that. And a lot of our kids don't want to sit there and do tongue twisters and those kinds of things, but there are so many ways to work on oral motor that you can have, uh, you know, things where... Uh, people will take, if your child loves chocolate pudding and you can just put chocolate pudding all around their mouth and, and put it around your mouth too, and then you stick your tongue out and try to lick all the chocolate pudding off of your face so that your child sees you doing that and then starts to do that. That's a great way to work on oral motor if your child loves chocolate pudding and you don't mind having things on their face. 
I love when they used to do those minute to win it shows and they would have the, the cookie races where they would lay on the couch and put a cookie on their forehead and try to move their face around to make the cookie come around to get in their mouth. And the reinforcer was that they got a cookie. So for older kids, I love that kind of thing because you can have races and they, they're laughing and the cookie falls off and it, maybe they didn't get the cookie in their mouth, but they were working on that oral motor thing. But there are, oh, there's a million and eight ways that you can work on oral motor. Uh, lollipops are a great way to work on oral motor uh, because they've got to lick it, right? Because we want that tongue to be strong. And there's you know, I mean, it depends on where their deficit is, whether it's lips or tongue. Can I tell you, when I taught college, one of the things that I would teach is voice and diction. And I would get all manner of people in my classes that had all kinds of speech impediments. And I wasn't an SLP, but as an acting teacher, I would help them to strengthen what was the piece that they were having a hard time with. There are tongue twisters to do that, but there's games. Again, go to Pinterest. Work on strengthening your child's oral motor, and you will see that it helps uh, to foster language. And of course, our last one, it has to be fair. If it's hard for me to speak for whatever reason, if I have apraxia or I have classic autism, which means that I have a communication disorder, that, I, it, it, that means the very definition of it is I'm having a hard time. So we have to keep it fair. We can't expect them to do more than they're capable of doing in this moment, right? But that doesn't mean that we let them stagnate. We push, push gently, right? But we make it worth their while as we're pushing. There are good rewards for the attempts, and we don't punish you for falling short, which is often what happens when our kids are trying to communicate and they don't know how to communicate and their attempt we want them to win at it. Okay, we're almost out of time here. Let me look at some of the things that you guys have uh, written in. Parker has said about the spanking thing, I'm just wondering due to religious parents. I, you know, I, listen, I want everybody to be able to do what they want, but it's a very touchy subject that if your child has, if, if your child had some sort of paralysis and could not move their legs? Would it be a part of your religion that you would smack them for not walking? No, of course not. So I think what we need to do is make everybody aware of what a communication disability is. I think that's the key. And I think then we don't have a problem with religious parents, right? Um, Gracie says, I give my son natural consequences such as less time on an iPad or less playtime. And natural, we're all about consequences. But what my point is, if they are trying to communicate and we give them a consequence because they didn't do it right, like maybe they said the F-bomb which none of us want our children saying the F-bomb, right? I, and I'm saying for that, I wouldn't attend to it. But I, I think that it becomes very dicey when you punish by taking something away, whether it's you know spanking somebody or taking away their iPad because they said something when they have a communication disability. I think there's a different way to go about it. And I think ignoring if they're saying something that's really incendiary is the way to go and instead reinforce when they're saying something good and positive. But I, I just think it creates a very strange thing in their minds about, well, sometimes when I talk, I get what I want and sometimes I get the opposite of what I want. And if you're really fostering language, I think you, everybody needs to look at that. Um, 
Gracie says, as much as it hurt me, I learned not to baby talk to my son anymore. Absolutely. Even though he is my baby, I had to stop it to better help him with his speech. There's an example of, mod of modeling that good communication. I know it hurts, right? Because our, there are babies, but we, yes, you're absolutely right. Anna says the reinforcement attempts for just first sound of the word and now full words have worked so well for us. Anna, loving you. My son is finally saying words uh, using this. Uh, I love hearing his voice. Yes. Uh, Gracie says for my son, it's difficult because aside from being autistic, he is also diagnosed with anxiety. Sometimes it is challenging because we have anxiety because we are going to a new place and we are also being anxious because he can't tell us how he feels. I hope that you watched last uh, Tuesday's show with Dr. Grampiche, where she talked about anxiety um, and she's going to do a full hour of it during the podcast-a-thon because the anxiety is a really tough thing too. And I, and one of the things that I feel like I heard Dr. Grampiche saying is that, you know, we don't, we also don't do punishment or shame about the anxiety too, which I know you're not saying, Gracie, but I, I'm acknowledging how hard it is because he can't say when he's feeling anxious. And it can be so frustrating if you need to get out the door and your kid is immovable. Um, but I hope you'll tune in um, to see what she has to say about uh, anxiety. Uh, Joanne says, hi, Shannon, IEP prepping right now. So happy to get a break and to watch some parent to parent today. So glad that you're here. Hope things are well in Philadelphia. Anna says, how do we prep for the IEP to use language apps as another option to help increase language at school? Uh, and then how do we ask for alternative methods of communication to be used in the classroom? New IEP coming up and before the last IEP, he is nonverbal. Now with eight months of ABA, he is using simple words and pecs to make simple sentences. You need to go into your IEP and say to them, you know, we're, this is what we're doing in our ABA. We're using PECs. We're seeing that it is fostering language. We want to get to the point where, you know, um, they're able to communicate completely verbally. Of course, that's still on our plate, but this is where we are. This is the accommodation that my child needs, and so I need that written into the IEP. Now, here's something that's really important. When we give someone an AAC device, uh, even if we're fostering vocal communication, if we've given them the AEC device so that they can speak, we don't take it away from them. Not ever, not ever, not ever, not ever, not ever. It can never be a punishment. So if how I communicate with you is through my, uh, my iPad, and maybe I'm able to say some words, but we have said we're going to have this here as an, an assist. We don't ever take it away. It's the equivalent of taking away someone's crutches, their wheelchair, their hearing aid. We don't do that. So it has to come off the table as something that can be taken away. Uh, in school, they'll say, well, we need to put the iPad into the backpack because it's raining. We don't ever ask the child to put their wheelchair away when it's raining. So you're really going to have to be tough with them at school and say, this is part of his communication, and which means he has to have access to it at all times, and it can never be taken away from him, ever. Even if he throws it, we don't go, well, we're doing a timeout for the iPad. We can't because it is his form of communication. We can, we can have other consequences, right, but not that. So be very clear, make sure that that's written into the IEP and make sure that they are on board with that. And if they aren't, I would get a lawyer because they would never take away a ramp for another student. 
They wouldn't, right? So they need to understand that you have experts and the experts have said this is the way we're getting to that communication. But I think, I hope, I pray that you will have people who want to get trained in what you're doing so that they can continue to foster it in the classroom. I would ask them to do that. I would ask to have your ABA person come into the classroom and I would ask for the school to pay for that. It's possible your insurance would pay for it, but uh, we're out of time, uh, Trayvon is telling me. But, you know, definitely write to me, Anna, if you want to know more about that. But he has a right to that device in the classroom and they do not have the right to take it away from him. But also as parents, it's hard sometimes because we... An iPad can be many different things, right? And if it's their iPad to play games on, that's one thing. But if it is their communication device, it can never be taken away for any reason. Um, Jilu says, mild autism is curable or lifelong. Well, that's a whole can of worms, uh, Jilu. We don't use the word cure uh, here at Autism Live ever for autism. Um, We don't. Um, And because it's a very incendiary word and it's and it's not the right word right but you can have symptoms of autism let's remember that autism is like a a menu and you have like you know these different elements and it looks different on everybody it's a spectrum disorder but it says that there are areas where you have deficits to the point where it is disabling you from being able to do the things that you want to do that's the truth of what the autism diagnosis is but there are many people that can uh, be taught different skills so that they can make choices and are no longer disabled by that thing. Just like there are things that you're good at or bad at, and I am too, but we found, we found workarounds. Like, well, I'm going to job that out. <laughs> I'm not going to do that thing in my life. I know somebody who doesn't drive. And they job that out to Uber drivers because they're like, I'm not a good driver. So they are not disabled by not being able to drive right? They jobbed it out. They have the ability to do that. If they didn't have the ability to do that, it would be disabling for their life to never be able to go anywhere because they, you know, they'd have to arrange a ride, all these things. So, you know, the truth is, is that, you know, you can have a disorder. um, And I was diagnosed with a panic disorder. Um, Now, that has not been cured I, I, there, is, there is no cure for panic disorder, but I found techniques so that my life is, I, I no longer qualify for a panic disorder at this point in my life because it's not disabling me, and I have workarounds. <coughs> it is the same thing with autism, that uh, the disabling aspects of autism, <coughs> excuse me, do not have to be lifelong for all individuals. Um, it is, it's not across the board and, and we want to start young and we want to work on things that are important to people uh, and they will have varying degrees of success. That is what I focus on is giving individuals the ability to choose what they would like to do without being hampered by the more disabling aspects of the disorder. Um, that's very doable for a lot of people and many people have been very successful. My son qualified for a diagnosis of autism. He does not anymore. Does that mean that he doesn't have autism? Oh, that's a debate that we could debate forever. His brain still works differently than mine. There's nothing wrong with his brain. Nothing, but it works entirely different than mine. 
Um, but he, there is nothing that he can't do if he wants to. Nothing. Nothing. Um, but when he was little, there were all kinds of things that he could not do and was frustrated. So, um, you know, is, is his outcome typical? Um, well, the early studies showed that the kids who got what he got, which was that very good quality ABA at, you know, 40 hours a week for at least two years, and in his case it was five years, the studies showed across the board, hundreds of studies showed that roughly it was 48% of the kids, so almost half of the kids could get to the point where they no longer needed support the rest of their lives. Do their brains still work differently? Yes, yes, they absolutely do, but they don't have the disabling aspects. Um, we have not seen that happening because there aren't enough people who are doing that level of ABA at that level of hours. That's just the truth, and that's what every day I have trouble sleeping. But that is the truth. Uh, Gracie says, my son just recently got his communication device. Is there any other cities that are sites, excuse me, that help with training of parents on how to use the device? Um, that's a really good question, and I will look and see. I would ask the, your provider to give you some, your insurance should cover your provider to train you in how to use the device. But I'll bet that there's some videos online as well. Um, and I will, I, we have an expert that we know that um, works in this field and is, you know, she's just amazing, Sue Cho. You, you, you can look at some of the videos that she's done with us on a bunch of different topics. She's the one that does yoga with her kids too. So we have Sue Choga videos on YouTube. But, um, and she trains her parents. I, it, your ABA provider should be training you. And they should, you know, someone should be paying them to train the people at school as well. Uh, sometimes that, depending on where you live, that might come out of a different funding pocket. But, um, but your, your insurance, whatever is paying for the ABA, should pay for you. And by the way, that should come separate from your child's hours. That should not come out of, if your child got 45 hours of ABA, your child should still get 45 hours of ABA, but... Most insurance companies don't put a limit on how much parent training there is because it behooves them to train you as much as possible because your child will have better outcomes and they will have to pay for ABA less. So I've never heard of an insurance provider saying, oh, we can only pay for this many hours of parent training. Usually the parents are like, no, that's enough. I have work to get back to. Uh, we're starting ABA next week and we're super excited. Gracie, I just, I, I want to say this. I don't want to be a negative now. I want to make sure you're getting good ABA and that your child is being treated well. If you have questions or something seems wrong, please reach out. Uh, I, I love, I'm hoping that it's really good ABA that you're going to be getting, but let's be vigilant. Let's make sure that he's getting the good stuff and that his dignity is, uh, his or her dignity is being preserved. Um, and that he's getting choices and that they're doing things that are good for him, uh, right? Because that's the good stuff. Okay, there's my email, shannon at autism-live.com. Let's talk, a I know we're over time, Trayvon, and we're going to stop in just a second, but let's talk a little bit about the week. Tomorrow, Dr. Doreen Grampichet is here. I don't remember what the topic is, Trayvon. I always do this to him, poor Traven. Uh, but she's going to be here live answering your questions in the studio. We really love that. On Wednesday, we've got jargon of the day. Plus, we've got two guests that are going to be with us 
from a film company, they're producers of a new film that's coming out a little bit later on this year that stars R.J. Mitty, who played the son on Breaking Bad. He's an actor who has cerebral palsy. He's the star of their film, but what, the reason why we're having them on Autism Live is because the writer and uh, producer and one of the actresses in the film is a young woman who is on the spectrum. And she started her own production company, and she's a mover and shaker. So they're going to be joining us on Wednesday. Then on Thursday, we've got, what is the topic? Oh, the topic tomorrow is parent burnout. Yes, during Ask Dr. Doreen. So you guys are going to want to be here for that. But then on Thursday, we're changing our schedule a little bit, and we're moving stories from the spectrum to Thursday. And we're putting the, uh, the rotating shows on Friday. Because this Friday is the big Oscar show where Moira Giamatteo and I are going to give you the rundown on all of the nominees, what we've seen, what our opinions are, and who we think is going to win. That's going to be on Friday. You're not going to want to miss that. And Moira always gives you an update from Taka about scholarships and things, so it's worthwhile uh, for all of that. But there's the week for you. Uh, as we're we're ramping up, and next week it's going to be a very intensive week where we're having a lot of top guests who are people who are going to be participating in our podcast-a-thon. Don't forget that that starts on April 4th at 3 p.m. Pacific time. Uh, we're going to give you, oh, Gracie, I'm sending you a hug. She says, help, most definitely burned out, throwing my arms around you. It's going to be okay, and Dr. Grampy Shea is going to be here tomorrow to help with some of that, too. Just remember, you got to keep reinforcing yourself, too. This is a, a long marathon run. It's not a sprint, and if you burn out, who's there for your child, right? So we got to remember how to you know, keep the people, everybody in the family, reinforced. And we'll talk tomorrow with Dr. Grampy Shea about how to do that. So hugs, hugs, hugs. Uh, all right. You guys were totally out of time. I hope there was something in that list that can help you. We've done a lot of videos before on bubbles. If you have a child who's not, who's not yet speaking at all, I, I really want to encourage you to go and watch some of our videos about bubbles. Bubbles are, I think, the single most effective across-the-board thing to start getting to the production of sound with young kids. That is not necessarily the thing with teenagers and adults because if they don't find bubbles reinforcing, but most young kids think the bubbles are pretty cool. Uh, So I was hoping to get to that, but I didn't get to it. All right, we're out of time. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now. (laughs) 